off on the ones and threes, but we'll work on, with him on it. There's potential. Uh, all right, well, thank you all for coming back for this afternoon. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 12, continuing throughout the uh, study of 1 Samuel. Uh, last week, we saw Saul's first uh, big moment as king. We saw him finally becoming king. We saw his first uh, military victory, um, saluting the Ammonites, um, coming up with this great plan. He's kind of displaying himself to be a great military leader. And at this point, um, at the closing verses of chapter 11, verses 12 through 15, Saul is officially made king. His coronation happens and all of the people are happy. We even saw a group rise up of people um, that were seeking to execute anyone who opposed Saul as king. So he was gaining supporters as it continued on. Uh, so everyone, everyone's very happy. The people are thrilled with their um, choice to have a king. They're very encouraged by what it is that they've already seen, basically on his first day. Uh, before we get into chapter 12, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you once again for a chance to open up your word and see what it is that we can apply to our lives, ways that we can become more like you and more like your son. Father, I just pray that as we uh, look through this chapter, that we're able to draw out the truth um, that Samuel is able to share with these people, that we wouldn't um, continue in these mistakes, but that we would learn from it, that we would heed these warnings, and that we would also see the encouragement, and that we can be encouraged um, in your faithfulness and your promise. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. So let's, let's get started here in chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Again, everyone, all the attention at this point is on Saul. And then Samuel re-enters the picture and kind of gives what I'm calling his farewell speech. Starting in verse 1, And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice and all that ye said unto me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed. And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. So we see him starting off, kind of reintroducing himself, speaking to all of Israel and saying, Hey, I am old up to this point. My head is gray. You're starting to see this changing of the guard happening, of him kind of starting to step back and say, Look, I've done these things for you in the past. You've hearkened unto my word. I've followed the Lord. Um, I've been with you since I was a child up to this day. And now you're kind of starting to see that Saul is taking over, and we're seeing him stepping back. Uh, verses 3 through 5. Behold, here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith, and I will restore it to you. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. So in these opening verses of chapter 12, we see Samuel defending his ministry. He comes out and says, Look, if anyone here um, knows that I've stolen an ox, let me know. Have I taken your ox? Have I taken your ass? Have I taken a bribe from you? Have I defrauded you? Kind of runs through the list, basically of all the things that he warned about that the king was going to be doing. He comes out and says, have I done any of these things? 
He shows that he had integrity while he was their leader, while he was ruling, and that he was a just judge. He displays his integrity. It shows that his hands are clean. Um, he offers up a chance for people to accuse him of wrongdoing, and the people say, pretty much, no, you've pretty much done everything right. You've been awesome. Um, the Lord is witness here this day. His anointed is witness. So everyone agrees at the end of this section in verse 5 that Samuel is clean of any blame, of any wrongdoing, of any deceit, of any dishonesty. Whole, holy um, set on integrity in Samuel, which is interesting. Do we remember the contrast between Samuel and Eli? Uh, Eli, a man who was ruled um, with bribery, and we looked at his sons and we saw the whole nature of everything going on there between Eli and his children, um, drowning in corruption, stealing even from the offerings that were meant to go to the Lord. Pretty much virtual opposites between Eli's administration and Samuel, in a sense. So we're seeing this dramatic shift, which is ironic because Samuel was raised by Eli. But again, Samuel was with the Lord, and he sought to do right, and he appears to have integrity even before his people, not just in his own eyes. Um, incredible encouragement. So he opens up and gains credibility. So he reminds them of how well he's done, said that he has been with the Lord, and that he can be trusted. And all the people agree, which leads us uh, as we continue throughout this chapter. Uh, slide down to verse 6. And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron, and that brought your fathers up out of Egypt. Starts off in verse 6 by saying, You know, it was God that brought forth Moses. It was God that brought forth Aaron. Essentially, it was also God that brought forth Samuel, that the people did not choose. The people did not vote for Moses to become the leader. They did not vote for Aaron to be put into place, but God had appointed them. In verse 7, Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. This term, stand still, is synonymous with what we know as far as in the court of law, with standing up and the court is in session. So basically in verse 7, when Samuel says, Now therefore stand still, that's introducing almost a, a trial concept or this sense of a courtroom, basically saying, I'm preparing to make my case, so listen up. And he even, he even says that, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the, the righteous acts of the Lord. So we're seeing he's going to recount to them all of the great things, all the righteous acts that the Lord had done. Um, great public speaking. He had a great speechwriter at this point. We see him establishing credibility, and now he's moving forward into the meat of the message, what it is, his call to action. He's reminding them of what's going, what had been done in the past. And we're going to see that in verses 8 through 11. It says, When Jacob was come into Egypt, and your fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt, and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hands of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried out unto the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served Balaam and Ashtaroth, but now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and and Baden, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and ye dwelled safe. So in those three verses, or in those verses from 8 through 11, Samuel recounts basically the whole um, book of Judges, 
as well, we're going to continue to see. He basically goes through everything that we've been studying in the past nearly a year. Right there. So between myself and Pastor Ben, all we had to do was go to 1 Samuel chapter 12, read verses 8 through 11, and that would have covered us for the last 10 months to a year. Incredible. So Samuel steps up and he reminds them, don't you remember when Jacob was in Egypt and they cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron and delivered them? Don't you remember? He reminds them of the problem and he reminds them of how the Lord solved it. Each time the people crying out to God, Lord, deliver us from these people. Deliver us from the king of Moab. Deliver us from the Philistines. And in verse 10, at the end, we see what it is that these people would say. They were saying, but now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. Every time it was, Lord, get me out of this situation, and I will serve you. Does that sound familiar to anybody? At any point in your life, have you ever said, God, if you just get me through this time, I will serve you and do anything you ever want me to do forever. That was every day or two when I was younger. It was just, oh, God, if you get me through this, or Lord, if you just please let me get through this test that I didn't study for and I knew was coming up for weeks, I'll do anything you want me to. It's very childish. It's very silly. And again, it's pretty empty because as we know, uh, there was a cycle, about seven cycles of this through the judges of, Lord, if you, get a, if you deliver us from these enemies, we will serve you. They're delivered, they serve for a short time, next generation, boom, right back in the same cycle. Continuing, every generation, every other generation is saying, Lord, help us out of this and we will serve you. And he reminds this, he's reminding them of the Lord's faithfulness, reminding them of his deliverance. He's reminding them that while they obeyed, the blessing that was promised would be there, but if not, they would be disciplined, blessings would be removed, referring back to Deuteronomy 28-30. through 30. So again, Samuel basically reviews the whole book of Judges and a little bit um, beyond that as well. So he does a great job. He establishes himself as credible. The people are on his side. They, they, he has favor in their eyes. And then he starts to rebuke them. Do you remember these things? He continues to do that in verses 12 and 13 with an example much more uh, recent, referring even back now unto the ruler um, of Saul. It says, and when ye saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Amnon, came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now, therefore, behold the king whom ye have chosen, and whom ye have desired. And behold, the Lord hath set a king over you. So he gives them their history. He reminds them that they asked for and they received a king. Um, and he also reminds them they had exchanged God as king for Saul. And he even points him out. You can kind of picture this of Samuel being up there, Saul off to the side, wondering what Samuel's going to say. And he says, yeah, remember um, when they rose up against you, the Ammonites, and you wanted, um, you wanted a king, and Saul came in, and he did everything good? Well, behold, there is your king. This is the one that you wanted, the one you had asked for. I love it. Now therefore, behold the king whom ye have chosen and whom ye have desired. Saying, this is what you wanted. This is the person you wanted. This is the one that you chose. In essence, giving the responsibility over to them of saying, you are getting what you wanted. Here he is. And behold the king, behold the Lord hath set a king over you. So we're seeing Samuel now moving on to Saul. 
verses 14 to 15, If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. Once again, and as we know from Samuel, Samuel never shies away from giving a warning to the people. But he comes out and essentially is saying, if you follow God within the covenant, you're going to be blessed. If not, then what does it say at the end of 15? The hand of the Lord is against you. And I've already said this three or four times, even in 1 Samuel, um, and even in Ruth, but the hand of the Lord against you is not something that you want. That is not a favorable phrase. And he closes it with, as it was your father's. Once again, a call to remember, don't you remember the hand of the Lord against your fathers and their disobedience? Kind of an exhortation to don't be like them. You don't have to do this. You can fear the Lord, you can serve Him, obey His voice, and you'll be blessed. But if not, the hand of the Lord will be against you. Again, he continues to remind them of their history. At this point, Samuel is moving on. Again, in a farewell speech, he starts off, starts off well, but he's not leaving this as a focus on himself. Notice everything he's doing is relating it to God. You need to serve the Lord. You ask for a king, you're getting a king. But God was always meant to be your king. Don't turn your back on him. And in my opinion, the whole establishment of the credibility at the beginning was simply so that this message would be received well by them. It's not to uplift himself to say, wasn't I the greatest? Wasn't I so much better than the ones before me and the ones to come? But he's simply wanting to gain the trust so that this message will be heard and be received. Verse 16, Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Sue says basically at this point, hey, now watch this. Stand and watch what the Lord is going to do. Remember all the things that he did before? Well, he's going to show you himself once again right now. Verses 17 and 18. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking you a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So he says in verse 16, Now see what the Lord is going to do right before your eyes. This is in the middle of the dry season. It's about mid-May to mid-June. And Samuel is calling down thunder and rain as an open display of God's power and faithfulness to, his, to these people. Again, he's saying, that, that he will do this so that you may perceive that your wickedness is great. How many times in our life are we saying, God, if you would just give me a sign, whether this is the right thing to do or if this is the wrong thing, just give me a sign one way or the other. I just need to know. Well, Samuel is coming right out with it and saying, hey, God's about to do something. I'm going to do it um, with his power, and it's going to tell you that you are incredibly wicked. So what does he do? He calls down thunder, calls down this rain in the middle of a dry season. Again, this is only something that God could do. This is not something that could have even potentially happened by chance. And Samuel proved that God could do anything if they simply obeyed and trusted him. 
And he's going to explain that a, simply a king could do nothing on his own. Verse 19, And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil, to ask us a king. See, that we're starting to see, and Samuel's trying to illustrate this point, that, that God is the king. God is the only one that has any power to do anything. A mere king on his own is nothing. A king on his own is meaningless. Regardless of your political system, the ruler is meaningless on his own. That's the simple truth of our human condition. We're fallen, we're humans. We can't really do anything on our own. Any great leader is going to have to be in accordance with God. He's going to have to follow him and obey his commands. He's going to have to be in favor. And this is the simple truth that Samuel's trying to illustrate. And he's saying, here's the king that you have chosen. But then he shows the king that they had and rejected. Verse 20, And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. So Samuel moves from, from fear not at the beginning of verse 14, saying that if you will fear him and serve him, and he moves to fear not as he begins to encourage them, continuing to allow them to realize, saying, Fear not, you have done all this wickedness, but he offers a solution. But turn aside from but turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. So it's stop rejecting the Lord as king. You still have a chance. Turn aside, follow him once again as your Lord. He doesn't simply tell them, You're living in wickedness, you need to change it, and then he signs off and walks away. But he offers the encouragement that if you turn and follow the Lord, you once again will be blessed. You once again will be able to receive the blessings that were promised, part of the covenant that you have failed to live up to. And once again, we continue to see this truth that God always comes true on his promises. All the covenant relationships we see, he's never backed out of. It's always fallen man that has done so. Verse 22, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. I love verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Just an incredible truth. The Lord will not forsake his people. And it's not because we're so great. It's not because Israel is so talented. It's not because, it's not, definitely not because their hearts are always right. We've been seeing that consistently. But it's for his name's sake. Because it made him pleased to make, him, to make them his people. Once again, majority of the time we see Israel rejecting God, but he continues to come back and saying, Hey, I still love you. I've still chosen you to be my people. I've lived up to my end of the promise. You can take that to the bank every day that I will come through on my promise. And Samuel reminds them of this. And he even says something that every great leader and every pastor and every spiritual leader in their community should be encouraging others to do. But verse 23, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Samuel is not happy with these people. He's not thrilled with their choices. Most of the time he's spending correcting them, telling them to stop being foolish, to turn back to the Lord but he understands his role. 
God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. He understands that it's still his job to pray for them and to teach them the good and the right way. He never relinquishes his prayer life for these people. Even though he may disagree with them, even though he disagrees with some of their their principles and the ways they do things, he continues to always pray for them. Regardless of his personal feelings, he continues once again to show his, his character and his integrity by continuing to pray for them. In verse 24 and 25 is a, is a simple application. It's a great reminder uh, for Israel, but it's just as good of a reminder for us, um, easily transferable to today. Um, just kind of what we want to leave with. Verse 24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Just again, this, this chapter, the simple uh, section of 25 verses in this farewell by Samuel is just incredible. The continuation of reminders of what it is that God has done, how faithful God has always been, but always contrasting the blessings and the encouragements with the warnings. They're always going hand in hand. Fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. We look at the, what we know of Samuel and we see that he did this in his office. He served him in truth. He served him with all of his heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. God had done great things for them. He recounted this to them just even in the previous verses. Delivering them out of Egypt over and over and over again. Delivering them from enemies over and over again to the point where it had to be exhausting even for the people. So we see Samuel stepping away, giving this farewell speech, stepping away as they transition into now their chosen leader of Saul, saying, Saul is who you wanted. This is your king that you've asked for. Not only is he what you wanted, what you filled out on your card for attributes that you wanted in a king, but you've chosen him. You've coronated him. He is now your king. You have received what you have wanted, but do not forget what God had done for you already. How great things God has already done. So Samuel leaves with his credibility established. He displays God's faithfulness and his power, but he closes it with a warning of truth to his people. He closes it by saying, But if ye still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Once again, leaders are not exempt from a downfall. And again, as they would continue and follow uh, the leadership of their king, we're going to see where that leads us. But once again, we see Samuel leaving them with a warning, but allowing himself again to encourage them that all they have to do is turn back to the Lord. It's incredibly simple. You either choose to follow your wickedness or you choose to follow the Lord in this time. And as we continue on, we're going to see uh, how Israel responds under their new leadership. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you again for for this time, we thank you that we're able to, to simply look just through one chapter. And there's so many chapters in your word that we're able to learn from. But strictly within this, that we're able to see Samuel delivering such a, such a powerful message to Israel, powerful warning. It's something that we can easily apply to our lives. God, I just pray that each and every one of us and that, that the people that we know and the people that we're ministering to would turn away from any wickedness that that might be carried in our lives, that we would turn away from that and turn towards you, turn towards your Son, look to the cross and, and see how we can follow and obey you. Father, just like Israel, we, 
we live in a country that's beginning to turn away from you, that, that enriched um, our lives and that we enjoyed blessings for a time, but as we continue to live, we're continuing to turn away from you. God, I just pray that you would allow us to, to turn away from our wickedness and turn to you, for we know that, that if we don't do it ourselves, that you will discipline us, that we will be punished. God, I just pray that you would um, be an encouragement to our hearts, that we know that if we, if we choose to follow you, we choose to love you and to obey you, that you do give us blessings, that you always fulfill your end of the promise, and that even though we may fail, we can always turn back to you and you will always be there. Father, I just pray that you be with us the rest of this week, and it's in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming. If some of the guys can have